namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammasambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammasambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammasambuddhassa uddham dhammam sankhaṁ So today I'm into the topic of mindfulness, breathing, mindfulness, sati, um, that which causes one to remember the particular quality of mind that causes one to remember, causes a certain deepening and uh Oh. oh, that's that. Yeah. So it's certain uh, deepening, you could say, mindfulness, reference. That reminds me of. Oh, got it? Is it? Oh, that reminds me of that particular function. Uh, that's the etymology of it. That which causes you to have an aha moment. Uh, whereas something is happening that lands, that is referred to and is felt. It touches, retouches the chitta. So chitta receives it. Is referring, gets a handle on it, gets a feel for it. Mindfulness is that word, so it's not thoughtfulness, though thoughtfulness plays some part in it. It's not attention, although attention has a part in that. So be aware mindfulness is mindfulness, it's not attention. It's not thoughtfulness. It's not um, fixed concentration. It's mindfulness. So I think first of all, though these words we can use them a lot in Buddhist circles. What do we mean? What's the meaning? Just not the word. What is mind anyway? And as I'm suggesting for. Many people mind would seem to be the rational processes. They're part of it, but that's not that's not that we call that budgie in a speech. The mind is something more like heart, though it has emotion, but it's not just that, it's, it's a bit more than that. It has emotion, it has thought, it has intuition, it has imagination, uh, it has sensitivity, it has stillness, presence. So there's a gradation of qualities that we can experience that all would be held under the term mind. From uh, kind of experiences that are not common for the everyday person, sense of just open, aware, 
with no thought, but very aware. For knowing people, this is not a reference, but that is mind. In fact, in Buddhist understanding, that's the clearest, most accurate description of mind. Sensitive, open, with no particular content, but able to handle content if content arises. So that would be considered the optimal mind. Many people, that's not a reference point. So, mindfulness is the quality of bringing something to mind. So we have to know what, with what is being brought to what, <laughs> and what is it that's being, what is the mind anyway? So we see this gradation uh, of qualities. Uh, the overall abiding quality that we can summarize all of it up as it's the sense of I. Here, me, this. It's not me as a person or as a man or as a nationality or as a mood, but it's the me behind all that. No particular name, boundary, but just as a way of using a word. It's a, just using a word to point, not a word to, to, to say this is what it is because a word is a word <coughs> the words are representations of experiences purely representations so the meaning of what the word the I behind the I am that's not a philosophical metaphysical truth that's just the way of momentarily flicking one's attention to oh, And so, whatever happens in mind happens to me. Although the me, I can't say what it is. But it's just as using a reference point. The subjectivity, you could say. It's um, less fraught with ideas of self and not self, but subjectivity. Otherwise, it wouldn't be experienced, would it? If, the, if there was no subjectivity, you could you could be an experiencing of it. So that's the sine qua non of experience. It's, it's experienced, <laughs> otherwise it's not. So this is the subjective here aspect of experience, and everything else we could say is an object. There's a thought. There's an emotion. There's a sign. There's a sound. There's a long definition. There's a memory. That's all object. <coughs> they change, they shift, and they move. They're agreeable, disagreeable. But the subject doesn't really shift or change, or because there's no quality to do that. There's no quality that can shift and change. It's just an open knowing. Recognizing any word I use will tend to become some object, <laughs> but as a reference point. Yeah. So, whatever objects arise, 
agreeable, disagreeable, favoring, finding, struggling with, all that is of the nature of object. You know, all that's within mind. You know, it's like the ripples in the ocean, the ripples in the, in the river. But it's not really some unchanging fixed quality that we can actually, this is my mind, this is mental content, mental activity, sankara, that which is conditioned. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's, that's where we're placing. Mm-hmm. And uh, the theme is that uh, uh, to deeper, for want of a better word, that placing can go, it, uh, we bear things in mind with an open, steady presence, then, oh yeah, that's, that's when you're really most fully, clearly with something. But of course, we, average person, for most of us, we won't do that. We'll, in fact, uh, place that in a certain mental field of whether the mood is bright, open, whether you feel urgent or dull or tense or desperate or happy, or, there'll be something going on that that will be received in. That's okay. That's the way it is. But ideally, we want to place something in mind that will help some of these afflictive objects to dissolve because they cause us suffering, and they're conditioned. Therefore. If we remove the conditions, the causative factors that keep all that stuff going, or if they're not activated, then our mind will be freer, clearer, more open. This is the point of mindfulness, is to try to facilitate that process of liberation. But in this it doesn't stand alone. There's another feature one should be aware of. Teachings on mindfulness, like teaching on anything, there's no such thing as a single factor. It's all matrices of factors. And so these can be varied, but common matrix or the matrices that that go along with mindfulness is there is a uh, a sense of uh, moral concern, moral awareness, some things are skillful, some things are not skillful. That's there, that's planted, that's established, there's that sensitivity around that. This is the ability to restrain, to not heedlessly jump into whatever happens, but the ability to moderate the pulling into phenomena, into objects, to moderate uh, the rushing forward and to moderate the pulling back, yeah. So we're not just this kind of reflex, uh, reactive state. Moderation, uh, moderating the senses, and another important factor, which you could see as synonymous with all these, is called deep attention or wise attention. And this means there's some selecting of what is appropriate to bear in mind, to bring to mind and bear in mind. What is helpful at this time, in this context, to bring to mind.
So this is kind of ongoing cultivation in one's life. What is useful to give one's attention to? Very simply speaking. So again, in a daily life, think well, giving your attention to that just stirs up hatred and aversion. This stirs up fear and worry. This stirs up agitation and regret. This stirs up craving and passion. No, I don't want to give that. I want to give something worthwhile because whatever I tend to is going to go into me. You know, it's become part of my mental field. It cannot be otherwise. You know, if it's experienced, then it's going to be part of the whole me context, isn't it? Since mind is, loosely speaking, the me experience. So whatever goes into that, that's going to become me. Again, speaking very broadly, right? Whatever goes in there is going to become part of me. And when you look out there, what's going on? <laughs> How much does that do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Under the, under the lid. It's part of me. And so it's something trivial, uh, uh, ugly, uh, gross, uh, distracted, massively distracted, frantic, purposeless, stupid, short-term, short fulfillments, encouraged, no long-term consequence. What then? So you wisely attending one starts to cultivate that these are this would say these are the friends or the the foundational um, qualities for sati for mindfulness as a as a practice they're there and what they're doing is they are amplifying the, the context in which which we place attention so attention is part of it but these preconditions very much deal with the context in which one play gives attention. Is this suitable? Is this fitting? Does this give rise to skillful states? Uh, where this is be part of me? How, how am I with that? So attention is not just and mindfulness is just not, not just about object per se. It's not just focusing on an object. It's focusing on it because, you know, if we just focus on an object, <coughs> say breath, for example, well, that's a shorthand way of saying it. But just bear in mind, there's a subject there. It's not a thing. There's an effective, sensitive, receptive presence, or whatever. There's the mind is there. Yeah. So when you focus on an object, yeah, but that's going into the mind, isn't it? The mind is focusing on an object. You can't have a focus without something focusing. So what is the nature of the focuser? You could say, and this is what uh, 
uh, wise attention and hiriyotapa, uh, 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 moral concern and sensory strain are about. They're about really cultivating the focuser. So the focuser is prudent, is restrained, is aware of cause and effect, is sensitive, isn't just jumping into things, is balanced, has got right view to some, at least to a degree, aware of effects. This very much moderates how one attends. So though it can be said in brief, you know, when one focuses just have the one thing in mind. And yeah, that's kind of true, but of course having one thing in mind is already two things. The thing and the mind, isn't it? So yeah, the focus may be one thing, but the focuser is many things. The focuser is intention, the focus the focus of his attitude. The focuser is the degree of sensitivity. The focuser is the uh, degree of receptivity of that. The focuser is that which is getting it. Uh This is this. Uh How is this? And so, as a way in general, sati is establishing that cultivation. For example, you know, example of seemingly not to do with mindfulness of breathing, you know, an example of, of mindfulness. One visits a cemetery, we see a corpse or bones in a charnel ground. Of course, you don't see this anymore, but it's partly one of the um, uh, reasons why this kind of quality of mindfulness must be emphasized these days because largely life is uh, devoid, uh, it's been stripped of natural context. We live in abstract. We don't see dead bodies, though everybody dies. Uh, you know, you, you eat meat, you don't see animals and kill them. You eat meat, meat is just something that comes out of shops. You don't, it's not understood as a living creature that felt feeling and had babies and uh, liked to romp around the grass and eat things and do stuff. It's meat, it's a lump, pink blob, a sheet of plastic you buy in a a supermarket. (laughs) That's what I mean by abstraction. It's not just, you see, context removed. So the thing is, there's no context. Money, maybe, is the main context. So anyway, just uh, so going to a charna ground or, 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 or seeing the body, and you look at the body and say that one is mindful, this is a body, mindfully contemplating the corpse or the bones, or, you know, all these things happening. It's not like looking at uh, the pieces of a car in a scrapyard, is it? Yeah. It's not like looking at some artistic arrangement of pieces of ivory. Mm. Or it's about looking at something, a body, dead body, 
me. You don't have to think it, automatically it's a reference. That body, this body, that's what this is going to become. Now, of course, it doesn't explain that because that's understood. If you see a dead body, you immediately get it. That, That refers to me, to this thing. That's why one regards it, not just as an an exercise in visual focus. Now, clearly you can discern the fibres in the bones. <laughs> that may be an act of attention, but it's not an act of mindfulness. An act of mindfulness is, if you don't see things really in microscopic detail, you get the sense of, that's that, that's me, uh-huh, <laughs> that means something. <laughs> and the meaning is, I'm going to die, <laughs> or this is going to die inevitable uh, and all this that looks like this is going to look like that inevitable and so it's the same for him and for her and for them it's all the same uh-huh <laughs> what's all this stuff about then <laughs> what are we what's all the dance and the, and the charade about then you know what about this this is uh, inevitable everyone irrespective of size, shape, gender, nationality, anything. That's that. Wow. What does that do? Uh-huh. Suddenly you deepen. Right. This other stuff is transitory. The differences between us are details. The main thing is we're all going to die. Um, how's that? So, you know, such a quality of sati, automatically by the reference in quality to the, the subject, brings in a whole set of deep meaning. Meaning. Because it comes into your mind, it has meaning. It doesn't just rattle around in your verbal experiences. On the bone, this is made of so many degrees of protein linked by amino acids. Now that's that's the verbal, that's not your mind. And that's true too. But that's object, greater object definition. And that is what mindfulness is about. Certainly it's attention, but it just doesn't go into the verbal category, it goes into the say an empathic quality uh-huh. and it's nothing it doesn't do anything more than that because nothing more is required you get it and the rest is there's a stirring and an intelligence and an understanding that has its own results that's you could see an act of mindfulness so the tension is there but it's not just the tension receptivity but essentially there's the receiving things to the how is that with me you could say how am I that's contextual it's alive it's dynamic it's felt it gives rise to meanings Hmm? sobering perhaps calming steady less verbalization because the more meaningful it gets this is part of the important turnaround 
the more meaningful something is, the less word you need. The more meaningful something is, the less word you need. You don't get more meaning by adding more words. You just need enough words to get the uh-huh. So what does mindfulness do by itself? It tends to diminish verbal activity. Not because you hate thought or you're trying to get rid of thought, it's because you get the meaning, so something in you shuts up. You get it. You don't need to keep chattering, because you get it, and it means something to you, and it deeply affects you, and you're with it. And maybe some thoughts occur like, oh wow, that's the same for her, the same for him, he looks so strong and vital and energetic and youthful. Wow, and for sure, he's going to be just broken down and hit bones one day, just like me. Oh, yeah. So yeah, some thought can be there. But it's really thought that keeps you know, adding to the quality of the meaning, to the shift of heart, uh, to the shift of mind, you could say. And it shifts out of being the isolated packet called my personhood, who lives in an abstract world of time, not really belonging to anything. not connect to anything apart from their own imperatives and their own anxieties and their opinions shifts out of that into something that's uh, compassionate, empathic much more far-reaching contextual wider human context that's just from looking at a skeleton in the right way with mindfulness. Not terribly refined, is it, as an object of attention? Hmm. Mindfulness of body can be just this. Now mindfulness of breathing, mindfulness of body is a living experience that you're having. You have a bodily experience now. And um, you know, trying to encourage uh, in your own time because this can take you know long-term cultivation really to you know get the fullness of being a living body having a living body, the experience of a living body, not just an object that you see, but living, a living body, which is warm and cold and shivers and has energies running through it and is mobile and flexible and hurts and feels comfortable, all textures that are occurring in this experience we call body. And particularly 
the significance of body as an, an organ of perception that receives other impressions. You hear a loud crash and your body jumps. What? That's a sound. Why has that made my body jump? Which is a movement. <laughs> yeah? Because the body is an organ of perception. Loud crash means danger. Perhaps body jumps, stiffens, tightens. So it does it. You don't say, oh, now I will jump. It bypasses all that. It <coughs> itself is an organ that receives impressions and interprets them according to qualities such as safe, comfortable, um, near, far, um, pleasurable, food, not food, worth taking in, not to be taken in. Quite simple. But everything that occurs is measured in terms of that. So you see someone frown at you, and that you feel your body slightly stiffen. What you see is a visual impression, interpretation, not friendly, you stiffen. Or you see someone looks at you with a cold stare, same thing happens. What's happening? Nobody said anything, nobody's touching you. There's just a slight change of visual demeanor, but you get it, and your body immediately does that. Stiffens. And so on. Or you see a warm, you know, especially called warm, it's not warm, it's just a certain movement of the face, but yet we immediately read that as warm, we feel more relaxed, it's like it's that kind of rising of, of flush in, in the body. Oh, pleasant, enjoyable, it's, you know, whatever. So the body is an organ of perception. And so this is particularly uh, significant because uh, it's through this very uh, medium of the body as an organ of perception that mindfulness of body, mindfulness of breathing has its deepest consequence because within this one can then uh, reset uh, experiences that we may truly and properly consider to be psychological such as my self-criticism or my panic reactions or my speedy mind or my slumping dullness or my zoning out going into la la land you know which seems to be a mental issue and yes it is a mental issue but you can deal with it through or to some extent and I can say to a, a significant extent you can deal with it through body and breathing No, so just kind of bear that in mind and check it out for yourself. Don't want to spend a lot of time adding more to that. Yeah. But certainly this is why, you know, mindfulness of breathing, you have a lot of sets instructions on how you process the breathing in bodily terms and how you process it in terms of mental activity, staying with breathing, how you process that in terms of what's called jitta-sankara, which is the mental activations still breathing in and out, and how you breathe in and out, and you process through subtle levels of ontology, sense of presence. Mm. Anyway, details.
So they're very significant to uh, approach body as mind and mind as body. Now when we approach, you know, because our language tends to separate the two, so approach your body as if you're approaching your mind or the mind of another. Approaching someone else's mind. Someone you want to make, you want to get to be with, you'd like to spend time with, you'd like to get involved with, you feel they can help you, you'd like to participate with them. What are you going to do? You think this is very important. This is really important. So, say, you know, take an example, you want to make you know, this religious person, you know, um, you want to be with them. So, you want to be friends with them. Okay. Very important. Study how to be friends with someone. You look in the book, how to be friends with somebody. First of all, stand at an appropriate distance from them. Okay? What's that? Some do six feet, seven feet, five foot two. What's the appropriate distance? Right. Having stood an appropriate distance, draw your eyes up to look them in the eye, but not too fixedly. Having looked them in the eye, say the word hello. <laughs> Then recite your name. Then twist your mouth into a, a, a mild smile, not too strong because that might be frightening. <laughs> a gentle smile, but approximately a slight elevation of 25 degrees in the lips to each other. Okay, it's got that. Now say, I want to be your friend. <laughs> and then thrust your right arm forward with the hand extended. <laughs> Now I am your friend, and now we can get along together. And imagine somebody did that to you, you think, what? <laughs> Psychotic. <laughs> but this is important, I want to get it right. So what's the right way to be your friend? How do I get it right? What's the right way to be your... How it's important I get to be your friend. Just sort of relax a bit, will you? And loosen up. And just spend some time and sort of hang out and mm-hmm. be a bit light, you know. And then maybe we'll see how things merge, and occasionally we're going to bump or make mistakes, and then we'll say, That's okay. Bear friendliness in mind. That's how you become somebody's friend. Oh, friendliness. What's friendliness? Right, friendliness is the expression of metta bhavana. So now I will do metta bhavana. No, no, I'm afraid that's not it either. <laughs> Although it's the right idea, but you haven't got the meaning yet. What does it mean to be companionable? To bear something in mind, to bear it in mind. Can we approach it like that? As if you are dealing with a living, sensitive being, which you are dealing with. A living, sensitive, responsive being, prone to swings, moods, shifts, flurries, flusters, anxieties, happiness, warmth, disappointments. That's what you're dealing with. How do you meet that? How do you bear that in mind? Bear that in mind 
bringing empathy to the fore. Bear that in mind, bringing respect to the fore. Bring that in mind, bringing, bearing mutuality to the fore, to this and to myself. How are we going to get on? How's this? How's that? With restraint in mind, don't just rush in there, don't jump forward, don't start issuing orders, don't try to get it right, just be a bit more gentle, receptive, but also have some input. You want to be somebody's friend, you don't just sit there listening, you have an input, you say something, how's that for you? You dialogue. And this is exactly what is presented for meditation is the art of dialogue. So yes, we use thinking, but we use thinking not as monologue, not as order, instruction, but as dialogue. The dialogue is called vitaka, vichara, vitaka, breath, vichara, how is that? Listen. It's like you're almost asking the breath to speak. Of course, it doesn't use words. But you get a sense of something there shifting. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this process, just as if you are entering a dialogue, but recognizing one part of that in that dialogue doesn't use words. He uses feeling and mood and perception and energy as its mode of communication. This feels tense, this feels bright, this feels warm, this feels flowing, this feels running, this feels slow. That's what it's that's what it's is now. Mindfulness of breathing, so established on mindfulness of body. Then mindfulness of body, aware of this, what I call the field of body. And again, when we uh, wish to uh, get it right, and the same sort of thing as I've described with, you know, reading the manual and trying to make friends with someone. All right, mindfulness of body, okay. So, which doesn't say, which bit of my body? Point uh, which which ear breathing so must be breathing in and out. Well, that's my nose, my chest, my lungs, my throat. Find a point which you, of course, you may indeed do, and doesn't really matter. But uh, there's no mention of anatomy at all in mindfulness of breathing, apart from sitting cross-legged with the spine upright. That's the end of the anatomy. So where's this body? It's me, isn't it? It's me as the embodied experience. It's the me sense which has a location. It's the me sense in terms of location, 
bodies have location. Minds don't have location. They have they have uh, mood. They have feeling. They have perceptions. They don't have a sense of location. They have a lot of activity in them, moderating, experiencing, sensing, adjusting, shifting. They don't do location. That's that's what they they they, they can be boundless. They can go anywhere. As we know, in fact, most of the time they're somewhere else. <laughs> but body is always just exactly here. So when we say, you know, again, this is kind of colloquial, but I'll just put it out there. <coughs> Start with, you know, body is the me sense which has location, and maybe you want to specify that with sensation. Okay, it's a sensation of my sitting on the cushion. Okay, is that? It's a sensation of my back, my shoulders, all those sensations. That's where I am, I'm in that. And yet, it's more than that. That's the outline, but then you can start to fill in the details. Here's the sense of textures, softness, pliability, coolness, warmth, flow, what are called elements. And eventually, you don't really need too much of a description of what we see with our eyes because essentially the body in the body is the expression. Not the body in the eye, but the body in the body. Not the body as a thought, no, the body in, and in the body. One refers to the body in the body with regard to the body. Right? So, what does the body know about the body? It doesn't know what it looks like, it hasn't got any eyes. That's the eyes. It doesn't have an idea of what it should be, it doesn't, that's a mind notion. It doesn't consider whether it's tall or short, or old or young. It's got no way of, it doesn't work that way. It just knows presence, solid, warm, flowing, flexible. So bear that in mind. How is that? And even with that, how, what kind of sense, what mental sense arises with that? And so first of all, as many mental senses can arise with that sense of being a location, because if you're in a location, you are potentially a target. Because you have a place in a context that is very wide-reaching. So there can be a certain quality of apprehension around that. Therefore, very important, seeing a root of a tree, shade, something behind me, sheltering me, safe. That's what that means. That's the meaning of it. Yeah? Because we can't always carry trees around with us, wherever we sit. But <laughs> it's as if you have. Because the meaning of it is natural, safe, grounded, earth beneath me, shade over me, I'm fine. Nobody's bothering me. So you want to establish that psychology and how is that when you bring that into your body you feel safe and grounded and uncompressed, not holding yourself in, not worried. And so just scan your whole body with that sense, then you have a body. Don't leave that body. Now, if you never focus on a single inhalation, doesn't matter 
ultimately that will happen by itself but get that body that body will breathe if you don't have that body you're already off on the wrong footing in my opinion sit so lightly in the sutta you know, one sits under a tree spine upright and placing mindfulness to the fore and uh, what is it uh, putting aside uh, uh, covetousness and dejection with regard to the world one, one phrase ten years <laughs> so clear your throat and this is going to take a while Anyway, one sort of makes an attempt at that to at least say, well, shelve it, shelve it, shelve it. And, and certainly the more that you can enter this, this grounded space, it has, by itself, has a potency because as you start to feel safe and comfortable and steady and you're like, okay, you know, well, let's look, look let's really be realistic about this. You know, um, this is the thing I can come to terms with is good for me it isn't bothering anybody else I'll do this the world is going to be you know doing whatever it does and I can have some maybe some tiny effect on it this I can have a big effect on it's right here I'm living in it if I don't get this right everything else is shot anyway so let's get real (laughs) so having that in mind uh, I'll do what I can uh, in other terms but if I don't get this right I'm just going to be operating out of fear and desire like everybody else <laughs> so I mean, so there's a certain you get it, get the meaning of it this is safe, this is steady, this is yours this is, this is available and then if that's there and then you bring up the sense of what is the movement, the life force of this, this form. It's not just the lump, it's alive. What is the ongoing life energy in that? That's breathing in and out. That's something flushing, warming, moving in repeated form. It's the sense, it's always the in out, it's the repetition of it, the rhythmic quality that is its hallmark. So throughout an Apanasati Sutta, every phrase is in, one does this breathing in, one does this breathing out. Whether it's long breath, short breath, subtle, in, out, in, out. So it's always bearing in mind that rhythmic quality. And the rhythmic quality then is something to tune into. And this definitely affects our attention mode. Certainly one is attentive. But it's a different, slightly different mode of attention than fixation. So fixation will tend to try to freeze something into a particular point, and this is more like a certain focus, rather like you're looking at a river and the river's running by, and you keep your focus same place, and the river, which is moving, is flowing through. But you're not trying to stop the river flowing. So it's awareness of flow. The awareness isn't shifting around, 
but um, your awareness of the flowing rhythm, rhythmic experience. And first of all, it just says one is mindful, uh, breathing in, breathing out. So it means be aware in this body of any of that and all, as much of that as comes available. How are you with that? If you're mindful of that, if the mindfulness is there, there'll be a sense of, oh, one thing becomes apparent. It happens by itself. I don't do it. You get it? This is a gift. Life is a gift. It's not something you have to work for. Very, very important message because, of course, most of the ones, adult, even pre adult life, the message is you have to work for a living. If you don't work for a living, you're either useless, lazy, derelict, or you're going to be in a bad state. You won't have enough money to survive. And money, of course, is life. It's the un- is the underlying message that's never said because it's stupid, it doesn't make sense. Money isn't life, but that's how it's, that's the meaning. Without money, you will not survive. And that's become, to a degree, yeah, there's a degree of truthfulness about that. That's not nature. Nature didn't ask for a red cent when we got born. It never charges us, it doesn't put a meter on the air that we breathe. So living is free, it's a gift. And one needs to shift to that, to that mode. And this is strange. And this is where often we come against this strange hindrance, which is you feel kind of weird because not being compulsive feels weird at first when you've been compulsive for the last 35 years I don't like it it's only my compulsion that's keeping me together I'm falling apart I can't handle this must be something I should be doing to get it right perhaps I'm not getting it right because I'm not doing very much so your mind doesn't know how to adapt it's like you've got used to walking on cement and you don't know how to swim anymore because you, you, you don't know what it feels like to have something that's that pliable and receptive and sensitive around you you've been dealing with hard surfaces that have no living quality to them no receptivity to them their laws, their facts, their statistics their jobs, their machines, their criteria their schedules, they're not alive that's who you can in dialogue with so you haven't understood things will give something back to you. Whether, you, whether you're good or not. Because it's, it's a dynamic system we're in. It's completely devoid of um, any of that. It's a gift. And to learn to receive a gift and okay so and that's yours taking it in taking the meaning of that in 
if you can take the meaning of it in as something starts to open and relax out of the got to get it right when's the next thing going to happen so as I can get to the success rate can I can meet the, the um, trajectory or the timeline wow now if it, even that if we even get to that where you can receive your own body your own breathing as a gift much will have been done much will have been undone and much will arise that you did not expect strange joy uh, a strange sense of wonder uh, a sense of relief probably quite a lot of disorientation as we can't we don't quite know this tune anymore we've lost it so but then it's there again and we got confused and, but never mind because it's coming back again here it is again here it is again just keep saying look just sit back will you relax listen I'm going to breathe you I'm going to breathe you <laughs> sit back relax listen I'm going to breathe you and you know you can if you to get more involved with that, to feel more part of it, you can buy it. Certainly helps to um, start to read it. Oh, this is that swelling experience that I call soft. This is the this is the belly. This is the swelling experience. A little more resistance to it. So it must be the chest. This is the fine thread sensation in the throat, the nose. Any of this, enjoy. Any of it, all of it and with the aim and the result that what's happening is some of these psychologies of confused intention uh, begin to dissolve confused intention uh, pushy, forceful, fearful, anxious, rushy uh, short attention span uh, on to the next thing this is we call confused intention and confused attention gripping, holding it tight, uh, trying to make it into something, confused attention. These dissolve instead we have right intention, right attention, and we are mindful. And breathing helps us to understand more deeply what mindfulness is. Breathing helps us to, trains us to be mindful. This is the friend who trains you what it is to be friendly, because Unfortunately, we may have lost that. We may have not. We may have lost contact with a direct, dynamic experience of being with a living system in a responsive, open, mutual way, rather than competing, contrasting, pushing around, making things happen. And this is where we learn it. We can learn it a very fine, fine degree, a very refined degree, which is for our deep happiness and development. We realize there's a lot of wonder in here, there's a lot of joy in here, there's a lot of sensitivity in here, there's a lot of appreciation here that I've lost. 
and the relief, release of suffering and stress. And this, because of this relationship between body and mind, this is both psychologically, you could say, beneficial, and it's also physiologically beneficial. Yeah, your heart rate becomes steadier. Uh, bodily tension dissolves, lessens. Metabolism changes, becomes more steady state. Yeah. Body energies become more moderate, steady. We feel healthy. We feel good. <coughs> so even at this, even with a little. Uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, the openings of mindfulness of breathing, they're properly tuned to a great benefit. And the beauty of it is that if the opening is there, the entrance is there, and we're really understanding and getting and learning mindfulness breathing, it will move on. Things will become calmer and steadier and quieter because that's the nature of mind. It has depth. And when one has done what needs to be done on the surface with thought, thought stops, not needed. And the deeper aspects of mind become apparent because the surface is no longer relevant. It's not averse to it, it's just not Necessary, so mind knows that. Okay, yes, enough of that. So this is a natural process. I'd like to encourage that and emphasise that. An lamayang damakataya sadukarang dhamma se sadu.